we get really sort of sidetracked by thinking that we need to find that next big idea, but it can be really, really small increments of some tweak or change on an existing product or service that can be an amazing benefit to society. Have you ever thought about the word creativity? Does it mean anything else to you besides the stereotypical choir, drawing, painting, building things, playing an instrument? All of those words are associated with creativity, but can creativity be associated with businesses? Well, today's guest is going to tell us about his 20 plus years of experience and learning about how creativity can be applied to businesses to improve profitability, increase sales, improve customer service, and ultimately create more meaningful work. What do you want to do with your life? What do you want to do with your life? What do you want to do with your life? Understandably, a tough question for any 20-something to answer. So join me, your host, Taylor Marks of the Rise Year Podcast, as I talk with some cool people about what they do and occasionally go on long rants of my own about the pains of growing up. Today's guest is Nir Bashan a creativity expert who has taught thousands of leaders and individuals all around the globe how to harness the power of creativity to improve overall business and provide more meaning in their work. He's the founder and CEO of The Creator Mindset, a company that conducts workshops, consulting, coaching, and gives keynote speeches at conferences and corporate events. He has also worked on numerous albums, movies, and advertisements with famous actors and musicians ranging from Rod Stewart to Woody Harrelson. His work has even won a Clio Award and been nominated for an Emmy. My name is Nir Bashan. I was born in Israel in Haifa, and my family came to the U.S. when I was three years old. Uh, we lived in New York for a while and Michigan, and then we finally settled in Los Angeles, where I spent 35 years before moving to Orlando, Florida. So why'd you make the move to Orlando, Florida? You know, I did it for work. So I, um, I was running an ad agency and I moved out to Orlando to manage the, the account and kind of fell in love with it. I mean, it's, you know, at low cost of living, the sun's out every day. It's really, really hot though. So if you're, um, you know, if you're heat averse, uh, it's probably not a good place uh, to live. And Disney's there, so you can go to Disney and Universal. You went to college, correct? Yeah, so I have an undergrad in music from USC, not um, Southern Carolina, but Southern California, the University of Southern California. I have an undergrad in music, um, and I graduated school and didn't know kind of what I wanted to do. So I bounced around doing things in the music field, but always wanting to do more creative and more interesting uh, sort of things. I ended up running a um, furniture refinishing company for a while that I started really out of nothing. Um, then I ran a Hollywood production company, which I kind of started out of nothing just by sheer hustle and getting out there and meeting people and networking and just sort of rolling up my sleeves and doing it. I worked uh, as a teacher for a while. I you know, was teaching it 
graduate and undergraduate school and then kind of just working my way up at different jobs and, you know, running kind of a side hustle the whole time. And sometimes those side hustles became my main hustle. So, you know, my my whole path is really trying to find who has been the most creative and um, applying it to a business as best as I could. So what about creativity kind of compels you and wants you to be in that space? So listen, you know, I looked around as I was kind of, I graduated school and I was looking around at people that were really successful and people that I had had admired. And all of those people were really, really creative. And the people that weren't creative weren't people that I admired and did well. And my creativity is really a type of business creativity. It's not about really, um, you know, playing an instrument or drawing a picture, which is really cool. Um, But that's not what I'm going for. I'm going for using creativity in everyday business to enhance, you know, uh, profit, to be able to hire more people, to be able to grow and so on and so forth. And so what I found as I was coming out of school was that Everybody around me who was in business that was creative did amazing things. They were able to change and pivot and sort of reallocate, you know, what they were doing and and to constantly stay fresh and exciting. And those were creative people. And the people who weren't able to do that um, weren't fresh and exciting. And they, you know, they only existed in a certain sort of band of time where they were hot for a minute and then they were gone. And the difference between sort of being hot and then gone and maintaining that upward swing of, you know, being relevant is always, has always been for me at least, creativity. So for your inspiration for that, are you studying other companies and people that have been successful or are there certain, I don't know, like there's probably not a certification or so where are you getting your information from based off of these people and then able to educate other people on how to be more creative in the business space? So totally what, what I've recognized and I I just started writing stuff down really. Um, So-and-so is doing this amazing thing. Steve Jobs just did that. Um, Elon Musk did this and so on and so forth. And over the course of 20 years and many more, and over the course of 20 years, I've kind of developed a sort of a style guide. I don't know, a book really about how to be creative. Listen, I, I wanted to find a book on the how to be creative in any business, no matter sort of what you did, and it wasn't on the market. And so I wrote it, literally. I wanna encourage your listeners to understand that finding a problem and being able to solve it is the height of enterprise. It doesn't have to be like a monumental problem. Uh, A lot of people coming out of school, and when I was teaching in undergrad and in graduate school, my students were like, oh, Nir, you know, I'm I'm not creative. Okay, why aren't you creative? because the you know I just want to solve like a little problem. I'm like, okay, what little problem do you want to solve? They're like, well, you know, like on the phone, like I really want to have it so that it can sit up and I can watch like something. And I was like, dude, that is the brilliant problem to solve. That is not a little problem. That is a really great sort of thing because you really help people out. And lo and behold, we get pop sockets, you know? So I encourage your listeners to explore creativity in all the ways that it manifests and not just try to attach themselves to like a big idea. We get really sort of sidetracked by thinking that we need to find that next big idea, but it can be really, really small increments of some tweak or change on an existing product or service that can be 
an amazing benefit to society. So how can this be taught in schools? What I was taught was that creativity was like in the art room or the music room or the choir room, like whatever it may be, like those are creative tasks versus if I'm in history class, like that's not a creative space. So therefore I'm not going to be creative. So how do you kind of integrate both of those in order for students to have more exposure? It's a really good question. And um, for me, everybody's born creative. And as we sort of go through school and, you know, college and stuff like that, creativity gets like sort of, you know, beaten down in favor of the analytics. So you and I were both in school and the teacher came around and they said, oh, you know, uh, it's time to draw a picture of a tree, right? And you and I both drew, drew a picture of a tree, right, Taylor? And like, you, you drew a pink one and I drew like a, like a purple one. And it was like, you know, totally fun. And we were having a good time. And then the teacher came around and they were like, you know, Taylor, trees aren't pink. And then you were like, wait a second. Yeah, okay, cool. They're actually brown and so on and so forth. So from the moment that we've started to be creative, outside forces, teachers, society has whittled it down so that we become more analytic in everything we do. So my point is that we need to bring back some of that creativity in everything that we do in order to stay relevant and vibrant in today's economy. So it's really about remembering who we were as children and how we approached problems to enable us to sort of tap into that uh, reservoir of incredible potential. So do you have like a course? So you have your book and you do speaking. Do you have a course or something that kind of helps people with this? I am in the process of launching like an online class that will really help people. I'm talking with the master class people to put something together in that vein. But yeah, really, it, 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 I, I wrote a book. It's got 92 steps in it. If any of this sounds interesting, it's on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. It's at your local bookstore. It's being translated to two languages. It's really a, a manual on how to be creative. But something that people can do today, let's say, Taylor, your audience is like, okay, cool, this sounds great. What can I do today? I advise them today to start to recognize the self-doubt monster, which is the monster that kills all creativity, right? So I feel like we could have easily have cured cancer by now. I think we could have had a woman on Mars. I think that the world could have been in a way better place. But what ends up happening is in science and in every field, uh, manufacturing, so on and so forth, somebody has a great idea and they kind of just shove it down because they're afraid of the you know ramification they're afraid of their ego getting bruised if the idea i don't know doesn't work or they're afraid of you know their reputation because they're some scientist that you know has a great following or whatnot i think that in order for us to really be creative and something that your listeners can do right now you start to listen to that gut that little voice that's telling you sort of what you need to do that is your childhood creativity kind of trying to get out and listening to that voice and not shutting it down with the self-doubt monster is something that can enable creativity for your listeners today all right awesome i like that so are you able to take these lessons that you've kind of accumulated use them in your own businesses Definitely. So I use everything that, you know, I talk about in the book every day. Um, but honestly, you know, I violated every rule in the book a hundred million times. And 
you know, that's where I learned the most from. It, it really, so creativity is really an individual effort. Taylor, the way that you're creative is never, ever going to be the same way that I'm creative. Why? Because creativity is down to the bone marrow. I mean, it is your DNA. It is the construct of who you are gets expressed in a creative way by you in a way that it will never get expressed by anyone else on earth. That's why creativity is so important. It really defines who you are as a human being so that your product or your service or even your career path becomes uniquely yours. I think it's really important to talk about, you know, how creativity for every single individual person manifests itself differently. And, and you know, in that it is incredible, you know, not only potential, but is an incredible thing. Like, you know, let's say you're looking for a job somewhere, right? And you're on LinkedIn and then you send an application out and they're asking you, you know, please uh, do a cover sheet and, and a resume, right? That cover sheet is literally the playground of the creative. And you don't have to write a cover sheet like anyone else. I bet you if you wrote your story down, Taylor, it would be amazing and people would gravitate towards it. We tend to think of ourselves as like, oh, it's a business thing. So we have to be business-like. But nothing could be further from the truth. If you were to write a story about kind of your childhood or some interesting discovery that you made and, and really tap into the identity of who you are creatively, um, believe me, you know, you're going to get a call for that interview. I've hired probably 1,200 people in my career in the last 20 years. And I can't tell you the amount of people that I get that, you know, the cover sheet's boring, dude, who's gonna read that? Seriously, like, you know, um, a couple of paragraphs, something interesting, something that identifies who you are, and I won't even flip to the second page of the uh, of the PDF. I won't look at, you know, the, the resume, I won't need to. I understand, you know, who that person is and I can bring them in. Um, and for me on my side, hiring on the person is way more important than hiring on the resume. And then for people who are trying to get a job, use every word in that document to try to get you creatively situated to be different than all the other applications. I like that. And I mean, that's relevant to me right now, but I think a lot of people can kind of relate to that situation because you go on anywhere and you look up, you know, cover letter samples or you're reading like other people's and it's just like bare bones, like, okay, I did this. I want to work here because of this. And then it's hard to get across who you are as a person onto these sheets of paper because you look at it and you're like, I'm more than these sheets of paper, but I can't show you because you can't see me or you can't talk to me. And that's harder. Yep. So that it's cool. It's about getting creative. You know, you have to get creative. Um, you have to listen to that voice that tells you, you know what? I don't want to do a cover sheet. I'm going to send a video instead. And that I've had those before and they work. I'm telling you, you know, every junior job that I have, I had a job open for somebody to help me with my business now. And I got, I don't know, maybe 400 applications, all of them, 90 9% of them were the same. I couldn't tell one person from another, but somebody had a video in there. They said, Hey, you know, I made a video for this opening and it was just like a YouTube when they talk into the camera and they say, Hey, you know, I'd really like this job and give me a chance, stuff like that. That was the person who landed an interview. I promise you, you know, and, and she, she did great. And we ended up hiring her because she sort of was like thinking differently. And that's what we need in business. So anything that you can do, any kind of ideas. And again, a video was her thing, but it might not be yours. Yours might be something else. It might be an audio file. It might be, you know, a, uh, a different 
look and feel of a resume, a different message. Again, creativity and who you are creatively, Taylor, will tell you what to do. And your listeners right now are listening going, you know what? I graduated school. I've been on this linear path. I got an, a degree in English. So, you know, what am I going to do? Teach English? Uh, I don't want to teach English. I want to be, you know, uh, a nurse or I want to, you know, study something else. And you'll find that most people out there have a nonlinear sort of career path. I encourage you to tap in to that creative voice that's telling you what you should do and take the risk and do it. How was writing a book different than any of the other tasks that you've done like previously with other careers and stuff? So writing a book is brutal. It's like a lot of work. It's a little bit lonely because it's really you just knocking it out. Now you can hire a ghostwriter, uh, which I did not do because I feel that creativity really comes from one individual experience, right? And how can I hire a ghostwriter and tell other people creativity is all about you? And then like me just hiring it off, right? So it's, it's a lonely task. Most of my work these days, Taylor involves a lot of social stuff. It's, you know, meetings and go-to meetings and phone calls and checking up on stuff and calling, you know, a different conference and tweaking the presentation because they called and said they needed something else, so on and so forth. But writing is completely not social. It's really about just sitting down and hammering it out. And and in that is, is a certain kind of you know, coolness because there's a certain glory in just sitting down and getting it done. Uh, I'm not saying that like I'm naturally good at something like that, but that's how it's different than most of my other businesses. So what did you learn in your previous jobs that you had kind of leading up to where you are now that have helped you or could potentially help you in the future succeed and kind of figure out, maneuver your way of having your own company and running everything? Yeah, good question. Yeah, I learned so much. Um, one of the things that I, you know, get a lot, uh, especially from younger people and students, is that, you know, they're like, Nir, this is great. I'm glad that you learned a lot, but my boss is really shitty. And like, I totally hate him and I'm not learning anything at work. And my thing is that no matter who you are or no matter where you work, you can learn a lot from anybody. You just have to have the will to learn. Listen, I had kind of the worst boss on earth when I was at um, Subway. I, I was making sandwiches at Subway on the corner, you know, for many, many years. And I had a boss who was constantly worried about the cost of all the ingredients. So she would go and count like the amount of tomatoes we put on. She would go and count the amount of olives. She would go and count. And what I've learned from that was, yes, you shouldn't count the amount of olives because the customer experience is far better than saving, you know, a tenth of a penny on that order. But I learned that the hard way and it's okay. No matter how learning and sort of creativity comes to you, it's really important to allow it to do that. So if you're in a job that you hate and you're working for a boss that you think is an idiot, there is an incredible value in that if you just learn to look at it creatively and if you just allow yourself the opportunity to sort of, you know, learn something from that person, it would be, uh, it would be a benefit. You're going to have a bunch of jobs and sort of careers in your lifetime. I, I think something like every seven years, you know, somebody changes tracks completely and direction completely. What I would advise to people is to really treat your coworkers and your, you know, network of people that are around you, people you work with, people you know, people you went to school with, with a incredible amount of respect. Stay in touch with everyone, you know, whether it's email or whether it's social or however you need to, to do 
do it because those people that you're surrounded with might just become the people that you either go into business with or they end up hiring you for something, so on and so forth. Do you think you could have foregone any of your previous experiences and started what you're doing earlier? I feel like um, where I am, it's a really good question, Taylor. Like, I, I mean, really nice, but like, I feel like I am where I am today because of where what I've been through in the past. I feel there's no separating that. And I feel like I've arrived at this moment for very, very good purposes. I feel like life's a, a journey. You know, it's really about you know, the journey and less about the arrival. A lot of people get impatient and I was very impatient when I was younger. I was like, hey, I want this to work. I want to make as much money as I can. How do I race to that end? And what I did was I stumbled upon a lot of, uh, I stumbled over and passed a lot of really great opportunities. So in my book, I talk about the little victory and how important the little victory is. It turns out that there was a salesman many years ago who sold ice cream machines, right? And he sold them to businesses and that was his business. So he was like, you know, what do I need to do? I need to sell more ice cream machines, volume, right? An analytical construct. One day he got an order from a place and they ordered like three or four ice cream machines. So he was like, hmm, why are they ordering three or four when I could barely, you know, get other people to buy this thing? So he went there and sort of stood in line and saw that, you know, there was a lot of people there waiting to eat at this particular restaurant. So he was like, okay, I'll stand in line and see what all the fuss is about. And then he ate the best burger that he's had in his entire life. Right. And that turned into McDonald's, the chain that we all know and some of us love today. And the point is, is that you have to be able to listen to what those little victories are telling you, right? I, if I'm an ice cream machine salesman and that's all I do, then you're missing all of these little seeds along the way that can help you immensely. I call those little victories. And what this particular gentleman found was that his little victory was finding that, you know what, maybe ice cream machines isn't the right path. Maybe I should go into the restaurant business and actually sell hamburgers. So for your listeners, I encourage them to set a goal for sure. Don't go too high on your goal and don't go too low, but you know, set a manageable goal and then start working towards that goal and listen to what all of those little things are telling you along the way. And it's okay to change as you get there because life is a journey, not an arrival. If I would have known that when I was younger, I think it would have helped me tremendously. I think I still would have ended up at the same spot that I'm in now, but I think it would have happened faster, to be honest with you. And I was so busy trying to fight it because I thought I knew better and I thought I knew what to do. But really, I should have listened to what those little victories were telling me and sort of enjoy the process. How did you decide to switch from one job to another or stop a side hustle and start a new one? What was your method for approaching that? For me, it is about listening to what those victories are. And, you know, for, for your listeners, I want you guys to sort of explore what is working and what is not in a very honest way. And sometimes it's painful because, you know, what might be working for you when you graduate school is waiting tables. You know, that might be working for you. But, you know, that might be the path that you need to take right now, even though you have a degree in English, are trying to tell you something and listening to them as you go along in life will enable you to 
to have a tipping point where that side hustle becomes actually great. Now, I have a degree in English. I'm working at a restaurant, right? And and I'm like, this is kind of cool, but like, I don't know, my ego gets in the way. So I start to think about what will my friends think of me? This isn't a serious career. This isn't something that like, you know, I didn't go to FSU for four years to wait table. But then you start to go, you know what? This is really interesting. The manager is staffing people in two by twos and blah, blah, blah. Why they could save a lot of money, right? If they start to look at things in a different way, why not staff one person in the morning, one person at night with a one hour overlay, and then we'll have someone on call in case we get busy, so on and so forth. Then you start to ride through the ranks, right? You start to manage the restaurant and you start to kind of come up with new ideas. And then you're going to say, you know what? That's really interesting because this restaurant literally revolved around one thing and it's pie. People come in and eat pie, right? These are all creative constructs. And then you realize that this pie is something that like you can easily replicate in a bunch of other flavors without infringing on that particular pie. You go you know what, I'm going to do an online sort of ordering where I do this pie. You talk to the restaurant, they tell you, yeah, let's do it. That sounds good. And you kind of take over the online portion of delivering that piece of food. I don't know, I'm making all of this stuff up. But these are the kinds of opportunities that happen if you're open and willing to listen to what things in the environment are telling you. A lot of people that are young kind of go, you know what, dude, I've arrived. Like I have an English degree, dude. I'm ready to write the next Steinbeck novel. But I promise you, the publishers aren't out there waiting for somebody to write the next great, you know, big fiction. People are out there literally looking for problems to be solved. And if you can solve a problem, whether you work at, you know, a, a restaurant job or some other entry level sort of position, find a way to solve it in an interesting way, then, you know, you really lay a path forward to using creativity to, to solve real intangible needs. What are two pros and two cons to what you do right now? In terms of like? All encompassing like your job. So whether it's a speaking event or recording videos or getting to interact with people, just anything in general that fits into that bubble and space of quote unquote your job. Awesome. Yeah. So two pros of my job is one, I love what I do. I'm so happy to get up every day and help spread, you know, creativity to, to business owners and leaders and professionals, employees every day. You know, I really love hearing feedback from people after they've implemented a couple of my tools and gone, oh, near, this is great, dude. It really helped me in this way. And so I love that. The cons are the travel. I don't really like to travel. Um, and I have to travel quite a bit to do a lot of in-person stuff that has slowed down massively now, um, because of everything going on Taylor, but that's a, that's a kind of a downer. Um, and the other part is that, you know, there are parts of my job that are kind of a grind, you know, uh, looking at the sales numbers are always a grind. You know, I'm not a numbers person, I'm a creative person. And so, you know, uh, some of that stuff is a grind, the insurance requirements and some of the overhead stuff is a grind in terms of, you know, having to manage that stuff, but it's a small price to pay for the upside of the other two items. Yeah, you get to do what you love. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> so if you had 30 to 60 seconds to describe to a complete stranger who came up to you on the side of the street and asked you what you did, what would you say? 
like the elevator pitch, like the quick yeah. one liner. Yeah. Um, I, I would say to people that I enable creativity in organizations, um, no matter what they do, no matter who they are, um, and also for professionals in their career path so that they can, you know, reach heights that are unreachable with only the analytical mindset. I unlock 50% of human potential. I help unlock 50% of human potential by introducing creativity to something that we're really, really good at, which is the analytics. If you had a book written about you, what would the title of the book be? Grit, true grit. Going from you know job to job, company to company, and making it happen. That's what it would be called. Short and uh, sweet. I like it. Cool, yeah. There you go. My next um, book, True Grit. Yeah. <laughs> Start it tonight. You already kind of said what an average day looks like for you, so we'll skip over that one. Has it changed, though, since kind of working from home, or was that kind of the same process? It changed a little bit in terms of the travel. It used to be a lot more in-person stuff, and that's kind of gone away, or at least delayed for now. And, you know, I'm doing a lot of webinars where, you know, I present to an association or a committee uh, online when I used to just do it in person. I like doing it in person. I, you know, listen, I talk about it in the book and, and the more you could do in person, the better because, you know, people love other people they do. Would childhood you be happy with where you are and what you're doing now? Um, I would say yes, totally. Um, childhood me was you know, going door to door, washing cars for five bucks a pop in Los Angeles and, you know, playing in bands and trying to get paid gigs. So yes, I think, I think kid near would be really happy with adult near. When you were younger, did you think you were going to be a musician growing up and like totally gigs pretty much? Okay. Yeah, dude, I had a band in junior high and we played like everywhere. I mean, you know, I had to be driven around by my mom and dad to like parties, you know, with like, booze and like my, my parents were like uh what are you guys doing and you know they were older I, I do I played in bards and stuff in Los Angeles when I was 14 years old you know and and I enjoyed it I enjoyed it immensely my bandmates wanted to like make music and you know uh get girls and that kind of thing and I just wanted to make money honestly I was like great how many of these gigs can we do let's do a series and I'd go into a negotiation with the club owner I'd be like okay we'll play the next three Saturdays for you know twenty dollars a pop and that was like and they would be like well you know okay fine that sounds like a good thing I'd be like yeah 60 bucks woohoo you know I mean 60 dollars to like you know a 14 year old in the 80s was like Oh my God, that was like, you know, a thousand dollars today. Um, my, my hearing really sucks though. So um, it was a path that I couldn't go down. Mm. What you're hearing like in general or like for music? No, like I have a good musical ear, but like my, um, so because I've been in band so long, I have like pretty bad hearing loss. Um, mm. Mainly because I always stood by the drummer, by the ride um, symbol. And like, you know, when you're a kid, you think you're invincible, but you're not. Um, and so I suffered a lot of hearing loss and, and I have it now as an adult. It's amazing. Yeah. And I started to work in recording studios for a while uh, on different albums. And I noticed that I didn't have my hearing was musical, but it wasn't technical. And so I didn't have hearing as good as other people did in the room. So I was like, okay, maybe music is not going to work out for me. If you had 24 hours to live, unlimited money, 
and could travel anywhere at the snap of your fingers, you can bring people with you, what would you do? <laughs> Only 24 hours to live? Yeah. Yeah, that's horrible. Um, <laughs> I'd probably go to the Caribbean somewhere and just, you know, just chill and fly all my friends and family out for one last, you know, one last go around. All right. So the last question, so the title of the podcast is what's next? Just in the broad spectrum, what's next? What do you want to do if there's any certain events or writing more books or, you know, courses, just getting more information out there? So I want to do more um, more courses. I want to sort of follow up on the online sort of masterclass thing and get to know it a little bit better. I want to write another book. So I'm talking with my agent now about coming up with another uh, topic that'd be interesting and fun. And I'm just really excited about empowering people to have their own what's next, you know, and to empower maybe even your listeners right now to go, okay, cool. You know, I just graduated school and I don't know what I want to do, but, you know, some of this makes sense. And what I always really wanted to do was blank and empowering people to, to have their sort of what's next and get excited about, you know, what their future looks like is, is really, uh, it's super cool and, and exciting to me. My two takeaways from my conversation with Nier are, first, in order to be more creative, we need to remember how we were as kids and tap into that reservoir of incredible potential that we pushed down over the years due to teachers, peers, parents, whoever it may be telling us that in order to color a tree, for example, the tree needs to be brown and to be green and not pink and purple, but remembering that trees can be however we envision them and using our creativity, what we see in our minds and applying that to any sort of business, day-to-day living, cooking, whatever it may be. And the second is to recognize the self-doubt monster, the place where great ideas go to die. They get pushed down due to fear of rejection, fear of failure, fear of anything that prevents the idea from being tangible and becoming real and being put out there for people to use and ultimately could end up changing the world. 